break them. So we're back here, podcast 2.4, uh, working our way weekly. It seems to be uh, we're catching a pretty good rhythm. Maybe it's because it's the middle of winter and there's not anything else going on, but I feel pretty confident about this, Pat. How are you catching your legs? Yeah, so far so good. I think, what, season one you guys did seven or eight. Jeff Holbrook was the last one at the end of the semester, so we're making good progress. I said we had to beat Steve's mark, uh, and we're about halfway there, so I'm excited. I would like to defend Steve for a second and say that we had four or five practice podcasts. So while we may have produced and published six or seven podcasts, there were another four that were on there that we were just practicing, trying to figure out. Now, to defense of you, there was no practice. No, Week no, one, you just dive right in. Light went on, and you were just expected to hit the treadmill. But you have a background in communication, so I figured that there wouldn't be any trouble, and you're a professional. Yeah, but I'm usually behind the monitor. I've never been... Uh behind the mic before so this is uh it's unique and it's fun i've enjoyed it so far and luckily we just have audio podcasts because this place isn't built for video podcasts right. and by this i mean us Correct. so last week ali guido um she's probably getting ready for her trip down to nashville uh where the attention was last week the nhl all-star game um heading down to work for the nashville sounds and this week we're lucky to have dan mcsweeney in 2007 grad uh, education grad we're venturing outside of sport management again but after a little bit of time off campus uh, in different spots of his life, he's back, career counselor in the Career Center. Dan, is this your first podcast ever done? Absolutely, yeah. Are you a podcast listener? Uh, I wish I could say I was a little bit more comfortable and, and confident in saying yes, but no. You've never, this is your, honestly, your first podcast experience, either as a listener, thinking about one, or being on one? Uh, yeah, there's only been like, clips shared with me. Oh, the good news is it's really just a bunch of guys just talking about nonsense and interviewing a guest. So there's really not much to it. No. I feel like this has to be I'm looking at the resume here. There's assistant coach Monroe High School, mock interview participant Hillside, coach college liaison at Aerotech. I feel like podcast expert, podcast member, contributor, like maybe contributor sport management podcast or the sports porch or whatever it is that we're calling this thing. Like this has to be on here. So the next time I see a, a career center resume workshop, this should be on there. Yeah. Given my line of work, I should be able to squeeze that in. Absolutely. I, I mean, mean if it, that, that should be peak performance by us. If we can get someone to come on our show and then add that to the resume as a result, I don't think we could find a better compliment. I'm about to write my annual evaluation for the 2015 year, and I think the only thing that I accomplished was this podcast. So this is going to have to make up, for me at least, like six pages. <laughs> so if we can drag two lines, maybe four or five words on Dan McSweeney's resume, we have moved ahead of the game. Absolutely. Is it going to be anywhere on yours, Pat? Uh, I'll find a spot for it. You know, my resume is pretty packed, but uh, clear some space in there. And you're not only a contributor, Pat, but you are the main marketer of this. There are 17 people listen to this podcast. That's huge. And Mama and Papa Gordon. I don't like think the, they've. I don't even think they've gotten on the train just yet. But I do have a couple good friends from high school back home that listen to this and uh, send me a text every Friday afternoon and say, "When's the podcast coming up?" So we're building our 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 following is. Quality over quantity right now. We'll get there. There are many people. Coffee shops, Bob's Coffee Shop in Argyle is sitting right. around there kicking yeah. around. There's no this. coffee shop in Argyle. We don't have any commerce. But so I'll give a shout-out to Brad Harkey because I know he's going to listen. Uh, my best friend growing up, and he continues to, to be a loyal listener. So thanks, Brad. So if we're going to work to roll this into underneath Dr. Burkowski's uh, sports porch uh, umbrella that she's doing in sport and social media – the idea is that you're sitting on a, on a porch talking. In Argyle, where do you sit to talk about sports? If you don't go to the coffee shop, if there's not even like a traffic light to sit at and, and talk about sports, where, where do you talk I, about sports? You literally sit on someone's porch. I right. mean, we are – Argyle is the perfect sample size for this kind of unrolling of this name, Sports Porch. So I think it's, uh, it's a good spot. If you ever want to do a podcast in Argyle live on location – I can set that up. The, the electronic and uh, technology piece will be a challenge, but we can make it work. I did also hear that Argyle is the technological center of the capital region. Would this be true? 
Uh, we just got wireless phones, so we're working our way up. It's as center as you get. Like, so uh, a couple topics today. Uh, we'll, National Signing Day for the Fall Athletes uh, 2016 just passed on Wednesday, and Pat is a Michigan fan. Uh, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh were center of attention, so we'll hit on the, the chasm, sort of the juxtaposition of, of athletes that are coming to Michigan or any school, USC, Alabama, Ohio State, and the amount of money and attention given and the and the money made by those enterprises versus the, those athletes now are pretty much beholden to make no money for their services over the next couple of years. So some of that, the pretty obvious chasm that's there, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least interject about the Super Bowl. It's a major component of at least the American sports cycle. Uh, I don't know if this year has had the same amount of, of buzz that other years have had, even with the sheriff probably being his last, my, my doppelganger, like my, my twin, um, being probably his last football game. That's but Peyton Manning, Dan, right? just saying. So will, uh, will the Super Bowl <laughs> make it to 75 or to 100? And then uh, transitioning into Dan and the interview with Dan, some of the experiences he's had, a major part of his college life was playing basketball uh, at St. John Fisher, and the Fisher-Naz game, this, the, the St. John Fisher edition, home edition, is Saturday. So getting to that rivalry and some of the experiences and how that has sort of molded his life. So that'll be the, the, the main gist, and we'll get to Dan McSweeney on the backside, uh, career counselor, uh, St. John Fisher College Career Services, on the other side of this break. So, Pat, National Signing Day, Wednesday, uh, usually the first Wednesday of February. Uh, and this year, for the first time in maybe a decade probably, Michigan is at the front of the, the conversation for right reasons. Uh, it's not that where has Michigan gone, what will they do with these players. And Michigan legitimately had a good team and had the highest profile as Jim Harbaugh came onto campus and had signing with the Stars which included, among other things, celebrity appearances by everybody that had no actual connection to Michigan. Right, there was you? a handful. Yeah, there was a handful of folks that did. You know, Tom Brady, uh, may, maybe not by handful. Maybe I mean one. But uh, Derek Jeter's from Michigan. No connection to the university. But that's what it is now. You know, it's bringing in these celebrities, these uh, these folks that kind of give Michigan a national spotlight. I, I saw someone tweet something out yesterday. Uh, about how Jim Leland has no connection to Michigan and Lou Holtz and things like that. Need I remind everyone, LeBron James has a locker in Ohio State's basketball locker room, and he has no connection to Ohio State. So these, they, they want to connect uh, celebrities and uh, sports figures to their program, whether there's a direct connection or not, uh, and it's all, it all circles back to just this recruiting piece and trying to sign these high school kids. Now with, as I try to defend Ohio State for a second here, while LeBron doesn't have a direct connection, the direct connection is that his brand is the brand that outfits the basketball program. So really, you're just saying, LeBron, give us some swag and we'll put a locker up for you and try to hop on your back to bring recruits into a basketball program that is probably as bad as it's been since that might have got there. So they, they played all right yesterday. I caught the, the last few minutes of Wisconsin. Uh, I thought they were going to do something there, but... You didn't tough see tough the to win end. on the road. You didn't see it this front end when they uh, when they started down eleven nil. Yeah, I didn't catch didn't catch the tip. I appreciate though Ohio State has gone back to the old Jimmy Jackson like Ohio State uh, uniform on the front. So if there's anything, maybe they can run a game back out at St. John Arena before they tear it down right? for old times' <laughs> sake. Lawrence Funderburk, Jimmy Jackson, and the like. But National Signing Day, what does it say, or what are your reactions about the? teaching college athletics too, the, the chasm that's there between all of the money that goes into recruiting and they raised $100,000, and I know it was for a charity, but bringing these celebrities in and making this very big production and the amount of money that the university makes on the back of that football program versus Rashawn Gary, the number one recruit in the country, signing to Michigan and signing on for the next at least three years of his life to make zero dollars. We had a, a good talk uh, in college athletics on Thursday, day after signing day, 
we had a number of student athletes in our class. I tried to get their take on it, and obviously signing on to be a Division three student athlete is noticeably different than what Rashawn Gary did at ESPN headquarters. You know, it, it's almost more of a, of a business enterprise is the feel you get when you watch National Signing Day. Uh, these schools going, pulling out all the stops to try to get a 17- or an 18-year-old kid to, to sign a financial aid agreement and a letter of intent. Uh, and then they're you know, spend two or three years, three years, I believe, in football before they are eligible to make money in the NFL, uh, regardless of whether they might be ready. Uh, from the onset, I watched uh, some Rashawn Gary footage the other day, and his 40 time and some of the things that they tend to do at the Combine compared well with recent draft picks. So it comes a question, I remember they brought this up with Clowney way back in the day, if someone is physically able to join the NFL straight out of high school, why not let them? Um, it kind of turns NCAA football into a minor league system. I see both sides to it. Uh, as, a, as a college football fan, I'm happy he chose to spend the next couple of years at Michigan. I'm excited to watch him play. We had a good day, and I say we even though I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's fun. I mean, it's the NFL draft with freedom of choice is what it is. And uh, from a neutral standpoint, it's, it's fun to watch. So, Dan, if you hadn't noticed, Pat and I don't really have the physical tools to be heavily recruited by <laughs> colleges across the country, nearly for anything. Uh, but you played basketball here for four years. Can you talk about your experience as a high school student and being recruited and the idea of like, sort of the hope of going to this school or that school or the dreams and then picking St. John Fisher and some of, some of those components? Sure. My, my experience is going to be much different than, than those of the, the D1 breeds. Um, I was 5'11 and uh, probably 150 as a junior in high school. And then for six months, I grew six inches and probably 30 pounds. So I, I exited high school as 6'4", hmm. 185, right? Got to work with, um, at the time, the assistant coach, um, Matt Jones here, who um, he's owning his own company now, now uh, Hoop Strength. He's, he's great at training and everything. But he put, jeez, um, close to 40 pounds on me at, at, the, at the beginning or the middle of my sophomore year. I was 6'6". Um, six, six, 225, you know, so I, I was still growing, and I didn't really hit my peak until probably halfway through my sophomore, junior year here at college. So, you know, recruitment was on the football field for me. Um, I was a tight end at Marcellus, and um, Blaze Fagiano was the coach, assistant coach here at Fisher, who um, we talked probably a couple times a week, and, and that process was, was much different than being sort of courted by, you know, huge household collegiate names. It was much different. So since you saw that growth and knew that it kind of came maybe three years too late, has there ever been a point where you're like, now Pat and I just had always wanted to be six feet? I'm it's still just, waiting for my growth spurt. Right. Was there a point where you're like, man, I wish that this growth spurt came three years earlier so that I would be 6'6", 240 as a senior in high school or something close to that so that St. John Fisher wouldn't be who would be talking to me it would be st john's who would be talking to me yeah i'd be i'd be kidding if it didn't, i didn't think about those things um but it, it happened when i was um competing for the empire state games and playing alongside division one athletes um one in particular terrence roberts was a, the starting four man for syracuse who we played together i was the five he was the four and you know i i out competed you know the starting center for cornell um jesse foot who his brother played here at RIT, and um, uh, another guy from St. Rose, who, who were obviously on full scholarships where they were, and I was, I was on the same level with them at that time for those couple of years. Um, so the frustration has to come every month now, like when you have to pay your student, loans. student loan bill. Yeah, they're not fun. They're not fun. But, you know, I think, I think now looking back, it's, I'm a little bit wiser at this stage than I was then, and I think, you know, with kids, hopefully they get the, the fortune to grow a little bit quicker than I did, and, and they're... Um, exposed to things and, and, and can participate in um, whatever it is that they want to do, whether it's sports or, or anything else. But for me, the, the tide has turned, and I'm, I'm no longer like, oh, <laughs> wish that could have been me. It's not. There's better things to look forward to. Right. I mean, it would be – you'd be probably not where you are today if you were still upset about the genetics of sort of delaying six years. But I imagine <laughs> – 
I pretty clearly was just going to be 5'10". Like, to be 5'10", and then wake up two years later and be 6'4", and say, well, why didn't this just happen before? Like, I can see how that conversation would come. But do, I, I imagine Coach Corniker thank your genes. Like, does he send a Christmas card every year to Dan McSweeney's, like, genetics, or maybe to the parents for delaying the genetics so that he was able to, like, bear the fruit of that? Have you hung out with Coach Corniker lately? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I have to bring that up there's, to get there, any recognition. <laughs> there's not a so there's not you didn't a. Even recruit me, coach. There's not a uh, Christmas card list. Is there a Christmas card list coming from the Cornikers? Like, is that something that exists? Maybe after this podcast, he'll right. work on that. Right. So Cards, been, no. Uh, there, there's definitely some uh, some text and email exchanges to to wish each other's family well. So good. What other schools were you looking at, or was it all Fisher the whole time? There was um, the the Cortlands of the world, um, Mercyhurst. Fisher, really pretty regionally, um, and, and it had boiled down to, to Cortland and Fisher for me. Um, Mercyhurst was a beautiful campus, but um, I felt that that four-hour commute was a little bit too far for, for me being such a family guy. Um, and then at the time that I was trying to make my decision, I had, I had a couple of cousins at each institution, and I picked their brains, hey, hey what, do you, what do you think about Cortland? Oh, yeah, that's good. And she wasn't as positive as the, the cousin that was currently at Fisher um, singing his praises, and um, I obviously like both institutions, but aesthetically, there's there's something special about Fisher. Very good, uh, and I think that that cousin probably gets should get some kind of residual. You're here four years. There's got to be some kind of commission base for anybody that gives. Hey, cuz, come to St. John Fisher. Yeah, don't say that too loud because if Scott hears this podcast, he's gonna be looking for a check. Oh, there's. <laughs> if a cousin gets no, one, a no brother gets man, at least twice coming. that figure. If there if there is anybody that is going to look for an extra dollar in their pocket, it's going to be Scott Gordon. Uh, speaking of dollars and pockets, uh, Super Bowl. It's true. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Right? He wouldn't even try to defend himself on that. He knows it's true. Um, speaking of dollars and cents, though, uh, the Super Bowl this uh, Sunday, uh, probably the largest single game, uh, single event on the American sports calendar. Uh, not many people do, 100 million people, 115 million people do the same thing at any point. They certainly don't vote in an election. Uh, they don't go to church on the same time. Like, so the Super Bowl is pretty special in that it draws together large groups of people. Uh, my wife and I were joking that uh, it would be great if we could find a babysitter so that we could go and watch the game because Luke's birth or his bedtime is around 7.30 and that's when the Super Bowl is. But trying to figure somebody or find somebody that isn't watching the Super Bowl and would be willing to watch a two-year-old while that's going on. It's a fool's game. So we'll watch it at home in a very, very exciting atmosphere where my wife will probably fall asleep somewhere middle second quarter, depending on the game and how it is. But last year was one of the best endings in Super Bowl history, and she was on her 13th dream by the time Malcolm Butler caught the ball and it was next to the last play of the game. But where uh, were your plans, Dan, to watch the game? I'm in a similar boat uh, as you. Uh, it's bedtime for the kiddos. Uh, 7.30 is that uh, either bewitching hour or uh, zonk hour. So that's, that's typically what we stick to as far as you know, bedtime books and snoozing. It's clear I'm carrying the torch for this podcast on <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, tell us, Pat. What are your plans? <laughs> Not exciting. I'm getting together with a whole bunch of friends and just going to watch the game at their house and uh, not anything crazy. I mean, if that is not something that you want to do, like, I think that, You're offering up I think your that son? Brunswick Street or Eastview Avenue, like, there's a house there that Unfortunately, would be it's not unlike when you're trying to get an Uber and it's like right after a concert. The demand is high and the supply is low right now, so it's going to be like four times the going rate. We'll just Money take, talks, Todd. We'll take it out of your brother's residual check for you coming here. No, no, uh, no, no. So, uh, but the point of the ads, and, and that's another part of the game. Um, the, the reason that 100 million people watch is because it's beyond just football. Uh, it is Beyonce at halftime. It's the ads that come at a bunch of different uh, times throughout the game. And some companies unveil them early. Some let them show then. But it is a spectacle. It's the crown jewel of, of American sports in terms of creating an event out of something that is just like a bunch of other things. Uh, but the NFL is trending down in terms of its interest, in terms of some of the challenges that it's faced. This is Super Bowl 50. It's been a big thing. CBS Sports is actually unveiling a new logo around this week, and it's being brought out. There's a lot of branding that goes on. 
Do you think that the Super Bowl makes it to Super Bowl 75 in some semblance of the same form that it is now? Or is it just a, some kind of percentage of what it is now? I think uh, viewership will decrease. I think it's going to go down. I don't know how far. And I say all that, you know, trying to extrapolate 25 years down the road. If there's any rule changes and things that make the game safer and keep the casual fan watching, uh, I think the diehard football fans are always going to be there and will continue to watch Super Bowls and regular season games and whatnot. Uh, you might lose some of the casual fans. We touched on this with Nate in Podcast 2.2. I think that the the loyal fans are gonna are gonna continue to be there. I think it's too big of a juggernaut to to slow enough to say that there's not going to be a Super Bowl in 25 years. It's way too big. It's way too deep. It is. I, I don't know how big it will be. I, I tend to think that it will be significantly less. I think that you start to take away some of the fuel, some of the air from that fire in terms of youth playing and some kind of major injury that occurs and, and something that happens. Um, I, I think that it will be significantly different. Um, I'm not sure what fills that void because there's always a, there's seemingly an insatiable amount of interest in sports. So this is a major part on a calendar. Um, if it just goes away, what fills it up? Pat could have in Super Bowl 75 is maybe that's the time when he can't go to a Super Bowl party because he is Don't putting joke about that. He's putting little Peter to bed. Like it's a terrible first name. Hopefully, there's no Peters listening to this right now. <laughs> do you? Peter Gordon will never face this earth. I'm telling you right now. Do you now. know any Peters in Argyle? You make I up 93 percent, no. then you're good. Yeah, we should be pretty good. That's true. Um, third, Sorry, Peter. the third uh, topic: Fisher Naz rivalry. Uh, my connection to the to the rivalry came simply when I came onto campus in the fall of 2004. Uh, and actually stumbled upon, Dan, your, one of your first teams, and that team was – I was really impressed with the quality of, of that basketball that was played, and it was fun to watch the, the team that particular year. They were undefeated. You guys were undefeated for 30 games or so. Um, and with the help of Ohio State, because Ohio State beat Illinois as the to knock them off, and you were the last team to be undefeated in college basketball um, – but the rivalry with Naz over the years has ebbed and flowed, and I wanted to get both of your senses as, as graduates of the college of the rivalry and some of that history and experiences that you had. Interesting. When I think about when I think about the the rivalry, um, I at this point now my knowledge of its history is a little bit greater than it was at the time as a player. Um, as a player, you're thinking about. You know the day-to-day grind, um, the the off-schedule workouts, and what you're using as motivation to push yourself. Um, and, and it's most likely the guy from your rivalry school. Um, but now I, I think about the the legacy that that each institution um, holds, and 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 with the recent passing of uh, Coach Wanzer, um, I, I don't think he's a household name e- even around here where he's resided forever. Um, the, the guy's a Hall of Famer. I mean, he, he was inducted in 87 with names like Rick Barry, Pete Maravich, Walt Frazier. This is a Rochester guy. And His name's by on the our way, court. 65 years ago, there was a pro team here in Rochester, the Royals, where he was you know player coach and won, won an NBA championship with. How cool would it be to be around here at that time frame with, with, such, uh, with such good talent? Um, so, so there's the Fisher side of it. But then, you know, there's, there's the Van Gundy. Jeff Van Gundy's a, a NAS guy. Um, and we all know about his his uh, his current role with ESPN and ABC and going backwards, the Rockets, the Knicks. Um, but he, he's a local guy that had some success too. I mean, he still holds records at NAS for free throw shooting. He he coached at McQuaid here in Rochester and then went on to coach with Patino at, at Providence before his, his NBA career. Um, to think that those two, these two schools have celebrities like I've just named involved and networked a little bit is uh it's impressive and and i think it's much bigger than you think about it as a player do you think that that is that that people don't know about that uh that it is not made as as public it's not that the deal isn't made as big about those types of names should the colleges be better at promoting how important it is i mean lehigh and lafayette play it's a big 
deal in football. Like there are different rivalries of games that are going on around the country that are big things. And Fisher and Naz play on Saturday, and I don't even know the number game, but uh, it, it's quite a history with quite a l array of people, and it is somewhat of a non-entity. And in this year, the teams are really good basketball teams and has the potential to be a very good game. Is there a bit of weakness in terms of the college's marketing and promoting of those events? I think the easy answer is no, um, and it's due to scope, right? Um, I, how, many, how many people can the gym hold? Because each, each year at each school, it's capacity, right? Um, so I don't know. I don't know how you make it a bigger deal. Uh, I, w I wish that it was um, – it, it should be. It's a better brand of basketball, in my opinion, than a lot of the games you might see televised. Um, great programs, great coaches, um, awesome fundamental basketball, and, and it has the same edginess that you might see at a Duke-UNC game or you know a whole totally different sport like uh, Red Sox-Yankees if you're going to reference a couple of uh, rivalry games. So you know, if you're not doing anything tomorrow at 2 o'clock, you should be at Fisher trying to get in and watch, uh, watch a good game. So, Pat, your four years, um, went to a bunch of games, probably worked with, with Norm a little bit down there at some of those games. Uh, what were your, some of your memories on the game and the feel of the game and the excitement of the game, and, and maybe compare that to what you see now? Well, my first, backing up even beyond Fisher and Naz, my first experience with Fisher basketball was Dan's 28-1 uh, and one season. Uh, you guys go to Final Four that year? National semis or regional uh, final? We lost in the Elite Eight. To Potsdam. Yeah. So my first experience ever seeing Fisher basketball play was at Utica that year, and they were undefeated. Um, Scott was that game? Scott was a uh, freshman. It was his first year. And I remember I had the audacity to think that maybe I could play college basketball. I know I'm not good, but I try hard. Uh, my grades are good. I might be able to boost team APR, things like that. You so got a decent shot. I said, right? you know, maybe I'll play. I'll try out at Fisher. We'll see what happens. And I went and watched that game at Utica and driving home with my father, I was like, well, Dad, uh, maybe sport management club is for me. So <laughs> you guys were just ridiculously good. That was my first experience. Uh, and then when I got on campus, I was uh, all about the Nazareth rivalry. I think it's like... If you go to Ohio State or Michigan, even if you're from out of the area and you know nothing about it, once you get on campus, you're kind of ingrained in that rivalry and you have a, a hatred for the other team, even though it's it's made up or forced on you. It's kind of just a requirement. You go to Fisher, you don't like Naz, and vice versa. So uh, I can remember sitting in the, the bottom row watching a few of those games, and I'm excited to go watch the game on Saturday because obviously I haven't been around uh, for a few years. and. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like, seeing the environment. Are you going to go back to the bottom row? No, no. I'll probably hide in the corner somewhere and quietly golf clap. But I'm in a different position now than I was when I was uh, a undergraduate student here and could hoot and holler and, and do all that fun stuff. Oh, I think you should go down and teach some of the the chants that you had, the cheers. Paint my face. Right. I have a, a Cardinal crazy Fisher fanatic. What was that maroon shirt you gave yeah. me the other day? Yeah. Perfect. You're, you're maybe, halfway home. Maybe I might have to do that. <laughs> One last question about the rivalry, Dan. Let's say that you, any of your teams from uh, 2004 or 2007, if they were to play today's team and you were sort of the bookmaker at the Westgate or uh, Not that we condone those things. Com, what would the line be to sort of think about a game being even? How many points would you have to give them? Jeez, which uh, which side of the court is Corniker? Is he is he on is he with us or is he on the is he on the recent or the the current team? Then we'll get two lines. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can pull you into how many points. It's yeah, like I want to know whether advantage. that like, that adds points for you or takes it away if coach the, is there. What's the Corniker effect? I think there's a clear advantage to to the sideline that has him um, heading it. All right, so then he's now on both sidelines. This is a hypothetical, obviously. This isn't. This isn't whatever. We're not actually going to bring out the 0405 team and just line them up, throw the balls out, and say, "Let's go." Right. Yeah, NCAA because, basketball because that, doesn't that let squad is, is clearly out of shape compared to this squad. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in our prime versus them in their prime now, yeah. I, it's it's got to be a double digit margin. Wow. So you'd give ten points or more, and that's because and of that's size. Is it any 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 of the current players or or the system at all? I think. Uh, recruitment is more challenging. There's a, there's a lot of things that go into factoring that that um, that number. 
I will say that 0405 team was really, really special. Um, and I've watched a fair amount of Division Three basketball. I've never seen a team that compared to to that run. I don't know, and I don't I don't know these guys close enough. But the the camaraderie on those teams, like they were my best friends. They still are. I still talk to them all the time. Like there there was something special about a couple of those rosters in particular. And the teams seemed bigger, right? Like uh, your your guards were six one, six three, six four. Like the team was large, and it sort of overwhelmed. Other Division three teams that just didn't have that same size. It was just as fast and just as skilled, and at almost every position, there were three or four inches across the board. And I think that that probably, I wouldn't disagree that 10 to 15 points would be only watching a couple, two or three games of this year's team so far. Yeah, I mean, and that's the, that's the beauty about basketball, especially when it's played right. If you've got mismatches and, and a bunch of guys that play the right way and get along with each other, you're, you're going to find it. Right, so there there might be some key matchups on that mm-hmm. um, in that game, but the 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 two, three, and four guards would be uh, would probably be able to take advantage of the, the same in this in this year's roster. Very good. So on the other side of uh, Dan's walk up music, it was Frank Sinatra. What was the name of the song? Dan Frank Sinatra. That's life. Frank Sinatra's "That's Life." I have to say that. That is not a song that I've had on iTunes, so we'll be purchasing it to make sure that it's up. So Dan McSweeney is with us, uh, career counselor at the Career Center. And on the backside of Frank Sinatra, we'll talk to Dan about his experiences here, his experiences uh, overseas, a graduate program, and then kind of what's led over the last nine years to, to his work today. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm going to change that tune. All right, so Dan, we appreciate uh, your insights into Fisher Nass. It's really cool to have you in and kind of talk about the rivalry and your thoughts coming from the locker room and prepping and thinking of it from a student athlete perspective, but want to move beyond that time in the locker room and prepping um, and knowing that it informed a lot of the things that you've done since then. Uh, but you graduate here 2007 with a bachelor's in education and then head immediately to Leeds, England to study at Leeds Metropolitan University. What was the process of leading up to that move? I had the opportunity to get my master's paid for through through basketball, um, and it was I was very fortunate in that capacity for sure. So this is a little bit of genetic rebate, right? So your genes they didn't come early enough. <laughs> they came through for right? me, but they ultimately came through. So you can write off one of the years that they could have helped you out by coming at 17 instead of 20. What was the educational experience like being in a classroom dealing with professors, sort of the overall social expectation? How was that different or what were some of the similarities to what you had had here? Great question. I, because it was a master's program, um, there was professionals with me, industry professionals in my, uh, you know, in the chairs next to me while I was going through. So, so they were bringing a different amount of experience to the table and their, their projects and their dissertations at the end were um, basically fueled by their current line of work versus me who had just left the undergraduate ranks and didn't yet have, you know, my own classroom to, um, you know, as a teacher just to, to interview or interact with and, and, and play with as far as um, in, in dissertation topics. So um, that was a valuable thing for me to be next to them, and it was a learning experience that way. Um, additionally, all the writing that I took on was with traditional English grammar with, with a lot of extra U's and O's in, in each word, right? And so the editing portion took a lot more out of it, but um, it, was a, it was a cool place. I mean, Leeds Metropolitan University was in Leeds, England, and five miles down the road, there's Leeds University. Each had an enrollment close to 50,000, so... Being in a city that at the time was the fastest growing city in Europe was, was kind of cool. Um, and I wish I had less work to do while I was over there because it would have been, been fun to get out of it. Uh, you don't really think of basketball in England. With, God, I don't think I've ever thought of it. So 
Uh, how did that compare to D3 level competition? Um, it our roster, if you want to want to use this uh, analogy, our one of our older rosters, 2003, 2004, um, would have would have had an easy way with the teams that I was on in, in Leeds. So um, what would you average over there? I know you keep these stats. I don't. 22 I w- and 12? I, Come on, Dan, I'm be not, honest. I'm not an MVP type player, but I, I was MVP of the, the, the North Division. Notice that's not on your resume. No. Oh, you got to no. get that on there right next to podcast co-host. No, there comes a time where the athletics, you know, unless unless you're a sports major, I don't know, you know, it's debatable whether or not belongs on the resume. Beyond the grammatical differences uh, in, in writing, what were other cultural challenges, lags, lessons that you had to learn when you first got over and sort of extending through the year? Awesome question. Um, well, I think anybody that's traveled abroad might, might understand this, that there's there's things that you don't you take for granted, right? Like being able to plug whatever appliance you're used to every morning um, into an outlet. Their outlets are different. Um, the to obtain a license and to get a student visa and 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 all the paperwork that's involved to do it, and then to go over and experience it is a whole other thing in itself. Um, they drive on the other side of the road. The steering wheel on the passenger side in a car is reversed. You make a three-point turn or a U-turn, and you got to you got to veer to the right before or the opposite to make a turn. It's just crazy things. Um, space is limited over there. The apartments were smaller. The cars were smaller. Six foot seven, two twenty-five isn't wasn't very comfy there. Um, but the people, at first, they're a little bit abrasive. They um, come off as they're they're only in the game for themselves, and this is the game of life. But once you live in their community and you get to know them. They're 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 awesome. They're some of the most hospitable people I've ever met. Um, awesome experience. So you're in Leeds. Did you ever attend a Leeds United soccer match? Are you a soccer fan at all? I am much more comfortable with the game of soccer now that uh, <laughs> now than compared to when I was there. Um, I when I was there, I got into rugby pretty hard. Okay. It, rugby league was a phenomenal sport, and, and I wish that um, we would take that on a little bit more uh, heavily here in the states because that's that's a great game. Um, I, I like soccer now. At the time, I, I I didn't have much interest in it. So you root for a side, let's say. What's what's the side that you root for? Passive Manchester United fan. I'm a Liverpool fan. So like everything else, we don't root. We root for rivals. Like who are you? Sunday or Saturday Premier League comes on or championship or like who do you root for? Do you have a side that you root for? I, I appreciate Wayne Rooney. You look kind of like man. Wayne Rooney. Thank you know, you. Now, that I, now that I look at that head of yours. Um, I've been told my <laughs> skill set on the soccer field is similar to his as well. But I, I don't have any loyalties. Um, but By who? Me. I tell myself that. You tell yourself what? That I play like Wayne Rooney. Self, <laughs> a little self-hype. So there's not like a 60% chance that sometime in the next month, Pat walks into his office and there's a fat head of Wayne Rooney sitting on the wall. We should get him a bobblehead. That would be awesome. I would definitely rock that on the desk. I have four bobbleheads there now. It's missing Wayne Rooney, though, so line that up. Nice. Let's do it. He'd have just as much hair as Shaq. That's right. Uh, do you, so back to rugby for a second. Leeds Rhinos was the professional team there. I went to a couple of games with them and to the point where I watched them play for the world championship against the New Zealand team. With the, was that the, the Haka? All, the All yeah. Blacks? Isn't that what oh they're called? Oh, my gosh. There's nothing like it. So we were talking about the exposure and the, the, the popularity of the, the Super Bowl. That, that rugby experience was pretty cool, too. So I spent last fall, uh, two falls ago, in Ireland, and Munster was the province that, that we were that Waterford is in. And I tried to watch rugby, but I was not around. It would be on in pubs. But nobody would be in a position to talk to me about what's going on. Like, I'm just trying to figure out the game. What did he just say? What is going on? Right. (laughs) Scoring. I I tried to catch on, and I feel like I can catch on quickly to sports, but I just didn't understand. Like, I understand you rock, and you pull it out, and it goes backwards. But then at some point, the ball stops, and then you kick it, and there's a strategy to sort of changing the field. And I just didn't understand like the baseline of it, and so I never could, I would root, like I would just, when You must Munster, have been watching the, the Irish version. So there's a couple of, like rugby league is the, is the version that I enjoyed the most. Rugby union was the traditional 
um, format that yeah. they played, and then and then Ireland had this like, you know, crusade game that was like all over the place, no rules, toughest sport ever to play, and it was pretty pretty loose as far as what the ball was doing and the, and the strategy involved. I wonder if you're watching that. I have couldn't tell you. I know that I have a Munster rugby flag in my that students gave me that I put in my office. I randomly pay like they would play like Guinness Pro Twelve would be the the league that they were in, and they would play. Uh, the Saracens, and they would play other sides elsewhere around the around Europe, um, but I don't I don't know. Like rugby is much like hockey for me; it's just a blind spot that I try sometimes to get into, but I just don't know what's going on, and I feel like I'm a lost cause, and I just don't have the energy to to devote to it all. But I think that you're also much more apt to play rugby than us schlubs. Yeah, I'll right. be a good rugby coach. Right. That's the extent of my contribution to a rugby side. I can contribute. How do you know you'd oh, no, be a don't good they, coach? They, well, I just don't have, I have any interest in going head-to-head with anybody on the <laughs> field. But they do have, well, what do I know about rugby? They toss the guy in the air on those side throw-ins. Yes. I could thrive in that position. You could be like, it's like the cheerleader that's the right. flyer. Top, like of, the, the, top of the pyramid. I'll go top. up and get it. <laughs> I just need Dan to toss me. You're more of a coach and a flyer. I'm more of the guy that's in the bar, like just watching the other people have a good time trying to figure out what's going on. That's probably a safer spot for you. Me. You need a beer? Yeah? All right, here. Here's a beer. Like, keep cheering. I'll, like, when something seemingly goes well, I'll follow along late with a, with a little rah-rah. You cheer, and then I'll cheer like half a second later. So 2008, you graduate. Was there any thought of staying in England after graduation, staying in Europe? I, didn't, I don't know if I knew enough to make a decision at that point. Um, I, it was I was it was nerve wracking to think about the loans that I had and and, and the responsibility that was um, supposedly to, the next step to take on and so I was eager to get back in and start teaching right I had accomplished what I'd set out to do I I, I achieved the master's degree um, spent the summer finishing up my dissertation because it, it was a September to September deal. And thankfully, uh, the principal that offered me the job that I turned down to leave for England um, awarded me the same opportunity when I came back. So it sort of fell in line for me pretty, uh, uh, pretty, pretty well. So you then come back. You go into the Rochester City School 39. Um, what was the transition? Was there a difficult transition, secondary transition, right, back to a city district or how the students that you had worked with in England or just some of the same, was it a seamless move back into society or were there any challenges? Um, the biggest challenge for me, honestly, and, and, and it's, it's like this, uh, I joke about it with, with Maggie, my wife, um, retired athlete syndrome. You spend a significant amount of your time uh, day in and day out preparing for, for whatever's next, the, the next game, the next practice. And, and then all of a sudden you, you enter the workforce and that's, that's no longer a part of your routine. And so there's a, a little bit of loss of self there. And I think that that was difficult for me to overcome. Uh, that with, you know, training to become a teacher, you're, you're usually next to a professional and, and to, to own your own classroom and have that much responsibility on top of um, losing a sense of self without being an athlete. That, 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 I'm not going to lie, that was a challenge, yeah. Did it, were there days that it kind of led into the school, that you get to the end of the school day and you sense that trying to find yourself was negatively impacting teaching and you had to really stay focused on what you were working with or some of the challenges that the students were presenting? Like, was there anything that bled over professionally? Not at all. If anything, I, I, uh, I, I gave myself to the students a little bit more and, and, and cared a little bit too much about what they had going on in their lives and, and, and being uh, as underprivileged as they were, they had some way scarier things that they were dealing with than, than I was, um, which meant you know a little bit less sleep for me. What was the age group? I, uh, my first position was teaching sixth grade students at 39. All right, so sixth grade student, that sixth grade student now would be just graduating from from high school or sort of reaching the age of just graduating from high school, do you still stay in touch with any of those students or were you able to, to maintain any contact? Awesome question. I, I really wish that, that I had the mechanism to do that. There was a, that was the time where it, it wasn't appropriate to, to befriend your students on Facebook. And so there was, I remember specifically a couple of students reaching out and trying to connect on Facebook, but I actually declined the, the friendship, and, and that probably was my only method to keep in track with them. So 
I'm very much looking forward to bumping into them in the future, but not too many of those occurrences have happened yet. You come to Fisher in 2014, so there's a little lag between 2011 and 2014 uh, where you leave education a bit. What was the what was some of the motivation to exit education, and then maybe what brought you back into not necessarily classroom per se, but into an educational realm? Yeah, good question. It was um, post recession, and so the Rochester City School District was feeling uh, the same economic um, troubles that the rest of the corporate America was feeling at the time, and maybe even a, a, a slight delay in that um, within education. So I was getting laid off. I was laid off after my first year. And I was safe my second year. Uh, King got invited to, 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 to go from sixth grade to fourth grade. I was safe my second year to, to maintain my classroom and have a, a, my second or my, my second year of fourth graders, my third year total. And that same thing happened my third year. I got a, a pink slip in April and a, an apology from the principal, who was the third principal at the time, that said, you know, we, uh, we appreciate your service, but you're, you're probably going to be on that, on that um, cut list in June. And hopefully we'll be able to get you back come uh, come September, and and it wasn't what I uh, if if I'm going to use a little bit of the career development terms, it wasn't part of my selection criteria, right? I chose education for um, stability and longevity, and um, it, it wasn't proving to be that at, at the time. So I, I decided to try my luck in, in business and um, went into recruiting and. and I don't have any regrets about it. You know, it was an awesome learning experience, teaching and and, and leaving teaching. So, how has that work uh, at Aerotech helped? Then that time spent in business in that business realm allow you to diversify some of the conversations that you may have, and especially the recruiting part with students that may come into the career center now. There was the it was the perfect storm. It's 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 a it's a great combo to be able to leverage my um, educational foundation with the relationships in the Rochester and surrounding communities from an employer standpoint and, and sort of mesh them together to uh, counsel, educate, and connect with uh, Fisher students here. So now you're back on campus, a career counselor in the Career Center. I'm saying that right? Correct. All right, excellent. Talk a little bit about uh, kind of the day-to-day -day things. And you're in my class on Thursday talking about resume work and, and all the things class. that the Career Center has to offer, and it is... You guys do a lot over there, so uh, give us a few uh, insights into the day-to-day -day life. It's um, it's very rewarding, and, and, and no day is the same as the one before it or, or that will come the day after. Um, it, it's pretty cool when a student walks through and, and says, hey, listen, I need some help, and, and, and that sort of taps into my you know, reasoning for wanting to be in education in the first place way back when, and so I'm fulfilling that from a motivational standpoint. And then the, the student that comes in after them is asking me for similar help in a totally different field. So sometimes it's a learning experience. You know, uh, Some industries I'm, I'm pretty proficient in, and I've got a great network to be able to connect them to. And others, uh, I had a student last year that came in and was like, hey, I really want to look at becoming a pilot. What can you do? <laughs> Let's do this. You know, Let's sure. research some options. What do you know? What can you tell me? And, and through questioning and conversation, you, you get to know students, and you get to help them. It's real cool. Some of the questions about Fisher students and challenges may be that there's not a, a wide array of, of diversity, uh, whether it's racial diversity or religious diversity or diversity of ideas and experiences. Um, do you get that sense of the students that come in that they're somewhat homogenous, or have you run into a decent amount of diversity in interests of students and some of their desires and, and overall goals? I think that the, the institution has done a phenomenal job improving in that category, and I know that um, Yanti Slobert has done a lot in his efforts to, to help. And it's not just Yanti. It's a, it's a bigger um, initiative than that. Um, but there's, there's definite improvement since, since I was here as a student and you know, quite a few years later now as a, as a member of the staff here. Um, so you know, good job, Fisher, and keep it up. You mentioned a, a student that came in and said that he or she was interested in being a pilot. Is that the most unique story you have as far as career aspirations or anything else you can shed some light on? Um, most interesting? It, it's definitely up there. I mean, there's there's been some cool internships um, either applied for or obtained, and the the location is awesome. You know, there's, there's students that want to come and talk to me about traveling abroad. There's students that are heading down to D.C., and, and, and working with uh, government down there, which is kind of cool. And then there's the, 
you know, the prestigious companies here that, that our students are um, attracted by and, and also sought out by those employers. So um, just being the, uh, the guy in the background, the middleman to help make those connections is, it's, a, it's, it's very fun. How much work does the Career Center do to, to brand itself, I, I, to, to be sort of the mouthpiece for the college and to enhance relationships and expand opportunities for students? Is that a part of the strategic plan or is it just a result of the name? Because the, the College St. John Fisher is, could be challenging outside of the region to know exactly what it is and where it is and what it does. I think, I think that's a question better suited for, for um, leadership. But I think career services across the region I can speak to and, and, and probably the nation too, they're, um, they're supposed to be in the background, right? They're, they're, they're being brought to the, to the front with certain issues. But I think the, the professionals that, that are in this world, in career services, I mean, are, are happy to be in the background and letting other people um, succeed and, and helping them do so. So, so basically, just, just think about us as a resource, and that's it. So to, to, to have to promote it in a way and, and, and be the face of, of certain things, it's, I don't necessarily think that that's um, high on the priority list. We're pretty fortunate as a department to have Pat in that position and have attention being given to assisting students as they move from St. John Fisher to a career. Um, and then there may be a couple, there are a couple others on campus how is the how are the rest of the departments I guess or across the whole from a college perspective how are you received by them like how are you connected to philosophy or other liberal arts or the business school like do they have a decent relationship with you or seek you out your services yeah, it's it's one of the honestly my my alumni status has helped there um, there, it's, it's surprising. Some, some people that I meet uh, and have met over the last two years, I remember you as a player, and, and it's, it's just a warmer welcome than I'm sure other um, outsiders may feel when they come in. Um, but there's, there's plenty of relationships with faculty. I mean, I mean the School of Education, where I'm, I'm, I'm a product of, we, we've got awesome relationships with them. Um, it's, it's awfully fun working with you guys, too, uh, in sports management. And there's... You know, progress to be made in other areas, and there's there's some strong points, and I'm definitely leaving out. But overall, the the Fisher community um, does a pretty good job of of wanting to help its its students, and and the only thing that I can do is is get in front of them and and raise the awareness that we are we are here as a resource to help, and and then let itself sort of run its course after that. Very cool. We have a sort of end interviews with a little speed round, um, so. Pat and I will fire questions back and forth to you, uh, kind of alternate. Just give a quick answer. There's no spot here for hemming and hawing, and uh, they're not hard questions, so we need an answer. There's no I don't know, right, so we're looking for a little bit of assertiveness. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. What was your favorite meal here at Fisher? Chicken bacon ranch. Worst job you ever held? Uh, construction. What other three people would you invite to complete your golf foursome, dead or alive? Uh, my Uncle Tim, my um, father-in-law, Dan Hartnett, because those are the two people that I golf with the most. And then the fourth would have to be something sweet. <laughs> Daly. John <Right>. Daly? <laughs> I like that. Outside of uh, basketball, what's your favorite sport to watch? College football. Favorite TV show? ESPN. What was your favorite class as a student? Sports center, to be clear. Favorite class as a student? What age? Uh, college student, here at Fisher. Collaboration with Wisnowski. Uh, Last book that you read? Pillars of the Earth. Who's the most famous person you know, or have met, I should say? Dolph Shays. What class prepared you best for your current job? High school class taking uh, typewriting. Keyboarding, like home base. You know what what, uh, what was your most words per minute that you got up to in there? Jeez, I, I, I wouldn't be able to remember. I, I, is 30 a good number? 60? I, I don't remember. <laughs> Those are two very distinct the numbers. Fact, the yeah. fact that you can look at something else while typing, and, and, and with us, working with writing is a, is a big part of our job, so that, that it was invaluable. Favorite vacation spot? 
uh, up a camp. You guys call it cottages, but it's a it's a house on a lake in the east shore of Lake Ontario. Best team logo in sport: the leprechaun for the Celtics. Green jacket or gold medal? Which would you rather win? Green jacket. Be way harder for me. I'm a terrible golfer. Most unbreakable record in sports. Home runs. Least favorite athlete. Chris Bosch. Your postman. Get in the post. Shooting the three-point contest at the All-Star Weekend. That's why. What a joke. Greatest sports moment. For me? Not for Todd. There are none. Intramurals. Runner-up in intramurals. That's right. Living the dream. I think that undefeated season should be up there. Most overrated band of all time. You too. Last or best concert that you went to? Kenny Chesney was pretty good at CMAC. All right. Last one. One more question. Sure, you got it. Final score, Fisher versus Naz tomorrow. 58-52, Fisher. Thanks, Dan, for going through all that. Uh, we will, on the back side, uh, just wrap up the podcast. Uh, there's a little bit of breaking news that I can talk to uh, – Pat and Dan about that it links to one of our first conversations and see if they uh, if they what their reaction is without any feedback so hold on all right so just wrapping up podcast 2.4 uh, lots of news kind of kicking around uh, you have Johnny Manziel Traveling around Cleveland and Texas, causing problems. Kind of, it's uh, even if you're a non-Johnny Manziel fan, uh, you kind of see it's difficult to watch the challenges that he's facing um, and, and where it ends up going. A guy that led 900 million dollars to Texas A&M while he was there uh, his sophomore year, just to see that he's been dropped by his agent. Uh, the Browns are dropping him in March, so um, there are challenges that he sees. But something that has just actually come across my phone while we were in the middle of this podcast, uh, six months ago, actually four months ago, uh, Louisville basketball kind of became a a center of a story of a book published by a madam in Louisville uh, that was chronicling prostitution, a prostitution ring that uh, her organization, I don't know what exactly what it called, a harem, uh, had worked with Louisville basketball uh, and chronicled some of this in a book that she had put out. And Rick Pitino and others had been quick to push all the blame onto the assistant coach that had since left, left the college. Uh, but just today, uh, actually just within the last hour, Louisville is self-imposing or announced that they've self-imposed a postseason ban for 2016 uh, in response, sort of amid these prostitution claims. It connects well with our discussion of recruiting and the amount of time and energy and money that goes into wooing uh, athletes of varying sports, uh, varying backgrounds onto campuses. Uh, what changes? I mean, Rick or Barnett had this. Gary Barnett had a similar type thing back in Colorado in 1999, 2000, uh, and Colorado hasn't really been the same since they they did a bunch of changes to their recruiting. What are your reactions, sort of first off, on Louisville, the situation, the accusations, and, and them self-imposing a ban? What's interesting to me is, and of course this is late-breaking news, so there could still be more developments, but there isn't really a whole lot of mention about Rick Pitino's job security. Uh, you know, Jim Beheim gets an eight-game suspension for academic concerns, and this is, in my opinion, even more egregious than anything that Jim Beheim could have possibly done. And, and Beheim ultimately was suspended for being the head of the program. You know, you're responsible for your assistants, you're responsible for your student athletes, even if he didn't have direct contact with the, the academic fraud that was taking place. Now, Rick Patino, on the other hand, if he's responsible for his assistants, which he is, and his student athletes, which he is, and his recruits coming on campus, which he is, uh, how he goes through this unscathed, I can't see. Um, but it's yet another black eye on college athletics. And I say that as someone who loves college athletics, um, but I am also not naive to the improprieties and and cheating and things that go on in that landscape. So uh, it's unfortunate as a fan of the sport and 
Hey, it gives me more fodder for class next week. So thank you, Rick Patino. We got at least another hour and 20 minutes we can talk about. Yeah, it's recruiting. You got, you got two hours and 40 minutes to work through, and you can hit on Rick Patino for quite some time. I could do a, an entire semester on that. But Rick Patino is the face of Louisville, the University of Louisville. I, yeah. the, the Yum Center is, I think, the biggest money-making building in college basketball, even though it only has maybe 60% of the capacity that the Carrier Dome has. It has significant amounts of suites and other club areas and premium sections that drive revenue. Uh, and Louisville is one of those few sport or, or athletic departments that generates revenue, a lot of revenue, almost equal parts from their football program and their basketball program. Uh, so this is the face of the program. And now your face of the program not only uh, wins games and has had a little bit of past in other places that people sort of point down to, but now is forced to sort of cancel an entire postseason based not on a student having to write a test or, or some other problem, but a recruiting violation centered on prostitution. Uh, it, what impact on Louisville, the university as a whole, does this have? It's interesting to think about this because the, the responsibility is at, you know, at, the, at the, the man at the top. Um, but it's, for me, it's, it's trying to separate the responsibilities that that person has and what the institution has to sort of provide oversight of. And then there's also the governance of the NCAA above that, right? So the, the interesting piece for me here is the, you said self-proposed. I haven't seen the, the, the tweets at all. Is it, it's, it's coming from Patino? Yeah, so they're taking preemptive. They haven't been charged with anything. There has been no uh, sort of notification of, of infractions from the NCAA yet. This is an effort by Louisville to get out in front of it uh, and sort of throw themselves at the mercy of the NCAA by self-imposing a ban. Yeah, I, I guess kudos to, the, to that um, effort. Um, but but who is who is in charge of that? Like what 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 should the process be for this sort of activity? And and to think about comparing it to Bayheim or you know anything that happened at Penn State a few years back. Like what what is the what is the punishment? And and and, and is it fair? And, and is there a process to be able to streamline any of these isolated incidents into? Because to 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 be reactionary about this, I think, is foolish for any of the institutions and. Um, the NCA as, as, the, as the governing body. So to me, something's got to happen and something's got to be developed in that way. And, and the real victims end up being the current players who had no role in this whatsoever. Even if you fire Rick Pitino, there's, that guy's going to be just fine. Uh, even if you fire his assistants, they, they're going to be all right. But you're talking about the kids who are playing right now for free, mind you, uh, and now can't go to the NCAA tournament because of things that prior students and previous coaches did. Uh, it goes back to the Penn State players getting banned from postseason for what Jerry Sandusky did. Uh, and I understand that the NCAA is limited in who it can punish. It's got to punish somebody, but it ultimately ends up hurting people who had nothing to do with these infractions, and that's the student-athletes, because they're the easiest ones to target. Yeah, it's uh, just a, every institution is created is violating some kind of rule. Right? Mike Shashevsky said years ago that he breaks rules every year. Everybody does. The rules are so large and sort of imposing and and cumbersome that anything he does, the whole operation would break some rule. So there are people at varying levels on that spectrum, and you're ultimately just taking a risk as an institution, right? That the money that's being driven from tuition or from donations or from other things, notoriety for your athletic department, you're just assuming the risk that at some point they're gonna, there's going to be a set of violations, and hopefully the scandal isn't so big that it negatively impacts us. Hopefully we can make more money off of the operation than we have to pay out or that we lose in terms of negative publicity. Uh, I think this is, a, from a social standpoint, uh, especially in the in the mind of, or in a time when we're paying a lot of attention to uh, the treatment of women and, J and Jameis Winston and other instances, like this is a, another black eye. This is probably more challenging for the University of Louisville than the academic challenges at North Carolina or the academic challenges at Syracuse or some of the other things that are going on. So 
Um, it was interesting to have it come up, really, to things come up. Uh, a couple weeks ago, David Blatt was fired and the hour after our, present, our, our podcast, so tried to latch on to it while we're somewhat current. So, uh, Dan, thanks for spending the time with us. Uh, career counselor at the Career Center, uh, insight into Fisher Naz. Dan says 58-52. Fisher, Pat, do you want to give your I think prediction? there's going to be a few more points scored. I'm going uh, 67-57. 58 good guys. I was going to, it's funny you say 67-55. I was going to say someone 65-55. I think the women will win too, fresh off of that step back dagger from last night. You see that video? No, I saw the article yeah. though. It's great. You need to check it out. Very yeah. Steph Curry-esque. It was, it was a nice shot. So, uh, thanks again, Dan. Thanks, yeah, thanks again, Pat. Thanks, Dan. Uh, have a good week.